feel like I should warn you that there's at least a slight chance that I don't know what I'm talking about today. <laughs> Many of you are not surprised by this. Thank you. I love you too. Don't know why you keep showing up here on Sundays listening to me, but I'm glad you're here. But even more than usual, I'm feeling out of my depth today. Because the theme I'm talking about is struggle. And in the grand scheme of things, I do not struggle very much. In the typical things that people go through in life, I have not had to face the worst of them. Like, I have my own stuff to deal with, but it's not the same as yours, and I am not an expert here. So I feel like I'm standing in the shallow end of the pool, preaching to folks in here and out there that may have been in the deep end, may indeed be in the deep end in this very moment, some swimming, some sinking. If that's you, if you have struggles, I would be glad to talk about that to learn from you, to do what I can to help, if anything. The reason that I'm talking about struggling today is because of this season of Lent. Lent is all about struggle, the journey to the cross, the wilderness experience. Again, let's be clear, there are different kinds of struggles. For many of us, Lent is a season of intentional struggles, a kind of suffering that we choose in hopes that it will make us a better person, make us closer to God, suffering that leads us somewhere, like CrossFit or winter in Saskatchewan. <laughs> we give up things for Lent. We take on extra prayers or readings or other spiritual disciplines, or at least we hear stories about people who do. <laughs> Those things are meant to bring us closer to God. That's a kind of struggle, a difficult journey that we choose for a purpose. There's also the kind of struggle that's forced on us dealing with suffering and pain, personal and relational hardship, collective tragedies, oppression, grief and loss, fear, all of that really heavy stuff that we don't choose, we would never choose, but we have to deal with. That is also wrapped up in what I'm talking about as struggle today. So I'm catching a, casting a pretty large net with that definition, and there are extremes there for sure, but I think there's some commonality in those experiences. In Lent, the metaphor for all kinds of struggle is the wilderness journey. Lent is a season of 40-ish days, recalling the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness, as we heard in the Gospel reading. And that 40-day experience of Jesus also recalls the 40-ish years that the ancient Hebrews spent in the wilderness around the Sinai Peninsula, the Exodus journey. This story happens in three parts. Stage one, God's people are in bondage, in slavery in Egypt. Life is hard, they've struggled, they've done all they can, but they can't save themselves. So they call out to God, God hears their cry and comes down to rescue them. Stage two is the wilderness journey. They leave Egypt and they meet God in the desert. It's long and hard, there are a lot of obstacles, a lot of lessons to be learned, but that's kind of the point. And even though they, keep, they feel like giving up, they keep going because of the promise of stage three, the promised land. For the Hebrews, that was the ultimate destination. That was their inheritance. That was the place where they would be free to live and serve God in the way that God intended. Shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. The just and good society. So out of Egypt, on the wilderness journey, and then on into the realization of God's goodness. 
That's the archetype, the story for Judeo-Christian worldview. As humans, we find ourselves in some kind of bondage, sin, ignorance, oppression by outside forces, whatever we want to name that starting place. We cry out for help, and God hears us. God rescues us by leading us on some kind of journey, and we end up in a better place, or perhaps as better people in a similar place, or both. When the Bible talks about salvation, that is the pattern it's usually referring to. And while Christians interpret the specifics of that very differently, that's usually the the main arc that we have in mind when we think about being saved or asking God for salvation. So that's what I have in mind when I think about Lent. Lent is when we focus on the middle part, the wilderness experience, the struggle. Here again, there are different ways to think about the role of struggle in this story of salvation. I've come up with three, and I stopped there. Perhaps there are more. First, there's the idea that salvation means being saved from the struggle. Struggle is negative. It's bad. And God will, or at least wants to, save us from it. The psalm for this week, Psalm 91, promises exactly that. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge will come near your tent. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. I loved that psalm as a kid. I had big fears. Mostly, I was afraid of bad guys jumping out to grab me from behind the trees um, that lined our farm lane. But I had this promise, like, God's going to give me a long life. The bad guys are not going to get me. No evil shall befall you. I will protect those who know my name. That sounds pretty good. If we trust in God, God will take care of us. No suffering here. Suffering is just part of the problem that God wants to rescue us from. Now I'm a little older, wiser, more sophisticated, and educated Christians like me sometimes dismiss this kind of thing as prosperity theology or the health and wealth gospel. Like, I know God promises these things, but not really. God isn't actually going to keep us from, from these things. But here it is. And this longing for that kind of protection and blessing, the kind that takes us away from the wilderness, that runs deep. That hope and that promise is ancient. Millennia of people have found that helpful and built their faith on that. A second way to look at the salvation journey is to be saved by struggle. Remember my first year here at Wildwood? The first Lent that I had here? The time we gave up singing for Lent? (laughs) Hands down my favorite Lent experience ever. It was a miserable way to do church for six weeks. Each Sunday, we replaced one more song with silence. So by the sixth Sunday of Lent, our songs were gone. Our usual five or six songs throughout the service were replaced by 20 minutes of sitting here, quietly, awkwardly. Yeah, it was so strange. Not my best idea. I will gladly admit that. And I love you all for trying it anyway. (laughs) But some of you will still now say that that experience, awkward as it was, was somehow worth it because 
there we go. The absence of singing reminded us of how much we love singing. The absence of singing for so long made that, that first Sunday when we had music again, Easter Sunday, it came alive. And that's how Lent is supposed to work, right? That's the idea that most of us have. As Linda was saying, we, we give up something like chocolate or coffee or social media or whatever, and that discipline will help us to enjoy the thing more in the end when we bring it back. Or maybe the absence of chocolate will make space for healthier food choices, and so that will help me to enjoy other aspects of life more. This kind of struggle changes us for the better. So even though it's painful, it's worth it in the end. That's how most of us experience Lent, I think. As our theme for this year says, it's a blessed hunger because it leads us to a holy feast. But here, I wonder about the struggles that we do not choose. Do those things also make us stronger and better? I've lived with mild depression in various times in my life. Am I a better person now for having gone through that? And if so, does my improvement in life now, does that justify the struggle back then? And my depression was mild and short. What about those depressions that never lift? What if the struggle doesn't end, but only leads to more struggle? Even with this original story of the Exodus, the struggle doesn't end when the people get to the promised land. Instead, God leads them there and says, here it is, go take it, go capture it, go risk yourself more, go deal with more conflicts, go face your own failures, go deal with the corruption that runs deep. Their dream of shalom, this kingdom where there's nothing missing and nothing is broken, that never actually happened. What's the meaning of the wilderness experience when the promised land is not all that it's cracked up to be? And further, how do we fit God into this story of salvation by our struggles? Does God cause our struggles in order to make us grow? Some Christians say that's exactly how it works. I don't find that does justice to the depths of suffering of people that I know, much less to the entire history of the world. So I'm not writing this one off. I'm just saying we need to be careful with where it takes us. If Lent is only about making Easter that much more enjoyable, maybe we're missing something in between. Finally, there's what I'm calling salvation in struggle. In the first two, the focus is on the end of the journey, the promised land, the paradise where everything is made to be okay. I think Jesus flips that script. As I said, Jesus was also playing out this Exodus story in his own life through his wilderness journey. And when those 40 days were over, when the struggle with the devil was through, what happened next? In Luke's version of the story, Jesus went back to his hometown, went into the local place of worship, and read what, what was a very well-known piece from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the language of the promised land. That's shalom, the year of God's favor. That's the great hope of the future. And then Jesus said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, not, hey, uh, I'm on my way to the cross where all this cool stuff's going to happen, and after a while I'll be crucified, and then I'll rise again, and that will make it possible for you someday to enter the promised land. 
after you're dead. Today, as Mark's gospel puts, puts it, the kingdom of God is at hand, now, already. Jesus said that and then went on this journey to the cross. His story, his struggle didn't end with the wilderness. His struggles really began with the wilderness. Even by the most generous accounting, Jesus only healed a small minority of those who were ill around him. He didn't make his followers wealthy. He didn't settle their conflicts. He didn't kick out the Romans. He didn't fix the corruption of the religious establishment. He pushed back against all of those things, but he didn't fix any of them. And yet, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus was convinced that God was still present in the middle of the struggle. Jesus' followers became convinced that he was the divine presence, even though he struggled and wept and got pushed away and arrested and killed. Jesus did not save himself or others from the struggle, not most of the time. It's really easy to miss that. I'm very good at avoiding discomfort and pain, so I just naturally twist Jesus' life and teachings to suit that. So I kind of imagine that Jesus is going around in the first century Judaism, there's suffering in the world, but with Jesus, everything's, everything's cool. He's got this little bubble of joy and comfort in the middle of the harsh realities of life. If you're hungry, well, we can turn some fishes and loaves up and we'll take care of that problem. You got a cold, well, Jesus is here, he'll fix that. Sure, his followers were mostly broke and homeless, but, well, I imagine like they were with Jesus, so there was this happy little place of fellowship of friends wandering around enjoying God's presence. And that's kind of how I treat God in my own life as well. It's like God is a buffer to the struggles around me. War and starvation in Yemen, well, God help them. Surely I cannot. You're grieving the loss of a loved one. I'll pray for you, and I will pray for you, but that will keep my distance. Facing death in my own family, well, God give me the strength to get through it. I'm not making light of any of that. We should pray for each other and pray for peace in Yemen. And God does give us the strength to get through things. But if all we're doing is gritting our teeth until we make it through the wilderness to the other side, then we're missing something. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said. There truly was salvation at the beginning of the story, not just at the end. There is salvation in the struggle itself, not beyond the struggles, but in them. Is it still cool to get tattoos? I want to get this on a tattoo. I will accept your design suggestions, but only from those of you who are younger than I am. The struggle for what you want is what you want. That's a quote from Christian philosopher Peter Rollins. I'm not entirely sure what it means, which is part of why I like it. To me, it says two things. One, struggle does not need to be redeemed. It's not inherently negative. It's something that I might even want in my life. Not too much, but some. That's counter to my expectations of life in the 21st century. Suffering is bad, pain is bad. Thank God for ibuprofen. We're supposed to be past this already. But this season of Lent reminds us that God and suffering are not mutually exclusive. That's a big part of why I'm a follower of Jesus. His life is witness to the presence of God right in the middle of human suffering. God is on the cross, right there with us. 
Perhaps we'll unpack that later in this season. And two, struggle is not something that we can expect to be resolved. And maybe that's okay. As I've said, I've struggled through several periods of mild depression in my life. Most of those have been circumstantial, big changes, lots of stress. And I go into a self-preservation mode. I'm sure some of you have heard this before. When life starts to be filled with the ups and downs, I try to get control by limiting the size of the waves. If I don't go too high, then I won't go too low. Don't have too far to fall that way. And so I kind of move it to this with the goal of just kind of going like this, which is flatlining, not a great goal for life. The trouble with that is while, while I'm trying to avoid the, the highs and the lows, I start to shrink. And then I start to fade downward off the chart. Avoiding the struggle doesn't save me from falling. Embracing the struggle doesn't either. And it also doesn't guarantee that I'll feel better at the highs. But the struggle is its own thing. It's in the rhythm. It's not only good whenever it resolves into something good. It's good in itself because it is life. Life is in the trying and failing and feeling, even the painful stuff. When I try to avoid those feelings of struggle or even just endure them, I miss out on life. The struggle for what you want is what you want. Maybe the wilderness is not just something we journey through on our way to something better. Maybe the wilderness is where we're meant to be. I don't know. I'm not sure enough about, about it myself to get that tattoo just yet. That's where I'm going to leave it for today. It's another one of those sermons where Sunday morning comes before I have everything figured out. Come back next week, I guess. In the meantime, may you meet God in your wilderness experiences. I truly hope that God does save you from genuine hardship and that your struggles do indeed bring character and integrity. But even when they do not, God is with you. Amen.